Phil, welcome to Spearlift. Thank you for having me, Devin. It's a pleasure, Phil, and, and I greatly appreciate uh, you being on this episode of Spearlift. And I think it's really important and pertinent this topic that we're going to be uh, speaking about because not only is it really important how technology plays a role in our life and has been at a, I would say, a more accelerated rate, especially since the internet in the 90s. And I think it's just going to expand even more as time goes on. Um, our connectedness and interconnectedness with with the use of it. So that's what we're going to be speaking about today, our relation with it and, you know, how it can serve for our actual good and well-being well rather being. than, yeah, rather than affect us more adversely, you know? So let, let's just talk about that because, you know, you you have a good angle um, and perspective on this and, and essentially an expert. So, so I want to just start off with a general question, Phil. How can te- technology be an aid in creating greater human connectedness and relationships, according to you? Well, I think technology, especially digital media, can be very useful for building empathy, um, empathy with other people. Um, digital media, when it works, when it works well, when it disseminates well, is about storytelling, and so much of that storytelling can involve hearing about the quality of life at the other end of the planet, um, how your friends and family are doing, how the other end of the country is doing, um, and and I think some of that storytelling for it to be effective often involves learning about other kinds of communities from the ones we live in, other kinds of people, other kinds of families. And so, so technology is a very important part of how we create empathy with others today. Yeah, no, and I agree. And, and, and it certainly should, right? Um, we're filming this in 2020. Uh, this is a time in which the use of certain platforms um, is more important than ever, right? I mean, especially my like just a, a personal case example as as myself. Um, many people know that I'm, I'm originally from the U.S. I live in Mexico City, and a lot of my way of having to relate to my family and speak to them, and you know, is all via Zoom. You know, and I, I can't. I know I can't go there for a while and that's right uh, for, for many of us our entire relationships are digitally mediated now right now and 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 i think we have been thrust into a new paradigm of how we have to get maybe used to expressing certain feelings certain emotions certain connectedness through these platforms yeah you know I'll, because in, in person seems not an option now and for a while. So do you think that that's, that that role is just going to be so much more augmented? I mean, going forward, I mean, I, I refer to that, like we're, we're almost forced to do that this now in, in a certain way. But do you think in a way as well that we're going to have to really understand certain augmentations of technology going forward to relate to each other? Do you see that? Absolutely. I think um, technology now mediates our many work relationships and it mediates many interpersonal personal relationships, family relationships. So, um, you know, an important part of many people's lives is uh, working, right? Especially if we have a job we enjoy. 
Um, now if our employer tells us we should stay at home and the workplace is not safe, all of our meetings go online. We end up in meetings all day that are, that are all virtual. And I think, um, I think the research shows that the digital media does involve reduced social cues, right? We miss out on um, verbal tics, hand gestures. Uh, we miss out on the nuances of facial expression. And digital media can reproduce more and more of that, uh, right? The, especially augmented digital media can, can capture a lot of that good stuff. Um, but it's, uh, it's always a sliver away from face-to-face -face interaction. And this is important because um, either at work or at home or with family, um, there are always sensitive topics and difficult conversations to have. And um, I think it's often important to have difficult conversations face to face because those extra cues, those sense of um, those things we pick up from each other, those, those relationships, uh, when they get strained, it's hard to negotiate by email. It's hard to negotiate over chat and it's, it's hard to negotiate by video. But do you think at the same time that we avoid certain confrontations by not seeing each other in person in, in a certain way? Like Yes, I suppose that's a great point too. I mean, we delay things uh, sometimes. We don't, um, uh, probably as, um, as humans, we, we don't look, very few of us actually look for confrontation. So if we don't have to deal with something or we can quickly get off the call and not, not address the a difficult topic, we may be more likely to, to use technology as a crutch, right, to hide behind uh, so that we don't have to have that difficult conversation. Yeah, I mean, it can go both ways, I guess, you know, in, in a certain aspect. And one, one major thing, Phil, that I, I see that it, we really got to correct for, for our global humanity and that, and with, with the aid of technology is, closing this gap, this economic, socio, socioeconomic disparity gap between certain people like myself and like you, I can imagine, like we, we have the ability to work from home, right? And with, with what's going on now in 2020, we have the, the means, the, the, the you know, it, I don't want to say technological advancement, but we have the capabilities, right? We have the capabilities to do what we can do. From it's home. a luxury to be able to work from from yeah. safety, really. Yeah. Yeah, and like in, in a in a place where I am here in Mexico, that's more challenging because there's a certain uh, class of people, a certain um, let's say socioeconomic group of people that have no choice but to actually get outside, go and commute and work physically somewhere. And that seems to be a big issue all over the world. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how how can, where can, where's a viable route to start lessening that particular gap with the aid of technology going forward? I mean, I know that it's not, an, this is not an easy question, mm -hmm. but, and it's, it can, it's a bit broad, but is there, I, let me just give an example from my end. Like, I think the using blockchain technology could definitely help for certain financial uh, means. There should be certain, I think a lot of the mobile use 
could be augmented or used, utilized mm-hmm. to a higher degree as, as it is in certain parts of Africa and India, but in other countries as well for, for, for certain work or for certain financial uh, exchange. But I don't know, is there something very in particular where you can see with the aid of certain technologies now being utilized to a, a greater extent or coming down the pike that can maybe help reduce it this in the future? Well, I think um, I, I think I'm. I would want. I would. I, I'd turn the question around and ask if if um, technologies can ever really do that in full, and and ask about how we adapt as humans to the use of technology. So, I think I think it's jarring. It can be jarring for somebody my age or perhaps your age um, to to have known a world without the internet or a world in which um, the world was mostly email, uh, which then became a world that was mostly, seemed to be mostly social media. And and then to have to make this transformation into um, a situation where most of the work, at least most of our work or my work is, is virtual. And there will always be the generations below us who simply have different habits who um, maybe aren't as worried about privacy as we are, information privacy, or who are become totally comfortable consuming news in 60-second snippets on TikTok, or who are quite comfortable um, doing job interviews and having all of their work experience on on video. Um, So I think technology certainly adapts, and it gets, uh, I think, technologies... um, Design, the designers of technology aspire to capture more and more of the nuances in our voice and the, um, the, the material reality around us and represent that stuff well. Uh, but humans also adapt, right? And um, I think I think the next generation of workers will be have a level of tech savvy that uh, and comfort perhaps um, that you you might not or that I didn't I don't. Or, I think that's there's that transition there's that transition in uh, in cohorts, right? Uh, that that also occurs. Absolutely, I think. In regards to what you're saying related to that, I think it's going to also change the concept of ur- urban development, urban design, uh, commuting, things like that. I think yes. we're given an opportunity now to to actually balance. Um, you know our work and home life a bit more I think sometimes it's actually challenging for certain groups uh, where or, or, or certain profiles of people like who you know had had or still have no choice but having the kids at home and uh, really pulling at their attention so yeah. uh, been and, I think, and, and I think there's an important gender component to this that we have to acknowledge as well yeah there's um, a fair amount of research that suggests when um, an organization goes to be mostly virtual um, that the um, women who have families tend to work from home but actually do more home take over more of the home work than male colleagues so male colleagues who have to work at home are still tend to be much more able to block out the home life and focus on work women tend not to do that um, as well the other thing we've know from some research is that when a team moves from being face to face right to having those social cues 
being virtual, uh, a couple of things happen. Um, the first is that the teams teams quickly find that they can't be so large. They have to be smaller to be efficient uh, in, a, in a virtual meeting. And statistically speaking, that means they're more likely to exclude their female colleagues. So why is that? Um, it's some kind of organizational behavior thing that um, it was a study of large video game coding coding teams, which don't have a lot of women in them anyway. Um, but as a meeting gets um, virtual, in order to be efficient in an hour, um, the organization organizations will tend to involve maybe just three people or four people. They, they don't need six people anymore. Um, they try to stay focused and, and in making the choice of who to invite or to involve in a particular meeting, um, the female colleagues tend to be the ones who get left out. So there's, there's definitely going to be uh, a long-term gender side to this. So I don't, I don't think we know fully what it's going to look like, um, but those are that's some of the evidence that we think may, may help us interpret what's happening now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hopefully, I mean, as this unfolds uh, right now in 2020, we month, month to month, we see certain things that we have to ad adhere to, we have to pay attention to that we got to correct for, you know, and I think as time goes on, certain things become more apparent of what we really got to hone in on and, and become more agile with and in, in other aspects as well. You know, um, I, I, you know, this whole situation, obviously not the whole entire world is going to get on board with, you know, a huge, you know, <laughs> uh, evolutionary change <laughs> or, or let's say hu human change uh, going forward. I think it will be piecemeal by region piecemeal. or country or, or, yeah. or whatever. But I think the point is, um, what I'm trying to say is that I think we could hand in hand have in certain parts of the world, at least, you know, uh, a way of really embracing technologies to diminish the socioeconomic disparities and also uh, pay attention to what, you know, especially climate related issues, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I, I'm not going to say like, okay, well, certain parts of the world just stop driving cars and start, stop, stop commuting and, and whatnot. I, I don't think that's it. I think, although, you know, maybe certain areas will pay attention to okay well if i you know consume my food more like this and if i um you know am am aware of the way i use transport and reduce commissions like this then that's important as well if i'm balancing my time with work and kids because I, I i avoid the whole commute issue and, and things like that waking up early that i mean there's a, there's certain silver linings that if we my point is if we really embrace it and utilize the technologies to our advantage they will put us into a different type of world going forward no? yeah, i think that's right i think um um i mean all cities already seem a little less a little less choked off um a little less crowded uh, at least where I am in the cities, the few cities that I've been in the last month or so, uh, the, a little bit less road traffic, and that's that's nice. It's refreshing. The air seems a little cleaner. I don't know if that's true, but but it just seems a little cleaner. Mm -hmm. And um, there's bound to be some good impacts. I think I think one of them will be that. Um, so I'm in a large university, right? And one of the impacts is that because we can't travel, 
we're not splitting out so much carbon, right? Our car, the carbon footprint of all those conferences and uh, academic get-togethers, we're still doing things virtually. Um, some conferences I wish could be in person, but uh, our travel budgets are down and our, our carbon emissions are also down. So what, what do you, what, what's in your opinion a good way to substitute or redirect funds related to that? Is there, are there positive things you think that can be used? Uh, in a well, different way? Some, of the, some of the better video technologies actually do cost. So, you know, we have to spend some of the money on, on video subscriptions. But, uh, you know, in our case, um, in our case for the department I'm in, it's allowed us to spend um, a little bit more, more money on scholarships. It's allowed us to spend a little bit more money on um, equipment we need for the staff, you know, laptops, that kind of thing. And now that everybody's working from home, we have to um, make sure that they have the equipment they need. They need a fast internet connection. They need to be able to have a video, video call uninterrupted. And of course, if, if your household has a couple of people who are working, working, you need to have enough bandwidth for several simultaneous video calls without anybody dropping. Um, and that's probably a technology, that's, that's a pretty important technology challenge. A hundred percent. I mean, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, wherever you work, you know, most people will, or most organizations will really dedicate that focus and hone in on like, what, okay, what's important at home? What's for your workstation, for your privacy, for your focus, you know, for the capabilities and tools you need to do what you can do well, you know, with, with given the situation we're in. I, you know, I see going forward as well, Phil, like, if it becomes more of a norm, you know, in most places for having, you know, more of this kind of um, sharing and information and workstation and home life of, of doing things. And mm -hmm. with all these platforms that we engage in more and more, you know, Zoom and who, who knows what else comes online and Teams and things like that, you know, Microsoft Teams, um, whatever, whatever it may be now and going forward, I, I, I kind of worry in a certain way as well about maybe let's say security hacking things like that is it I mean, is it sort of personal security or do you well, mean your bank your bank or the government or an election I, or all of it? i mean <laughs> well, i mean part part of what you're saying with that depends on what you pay attention to personally i think i mean some people just tune out the world <laughs> sometimes but i i think just for the individual you know like if there's um people who fortunately you know, like, like you and I who can work from home and, and we, we, you know, have that, let's say certain, I don't know, uh, like privilege, not, not, not that we are privileged, let's say, but we are, we're, we're, we're grateful to be in the situation we are basically, right. And not have to just completely, um, be off the, the rails with a bad economic situation, you know, as, as many people unfortunately are suffering with, you know, and are, and I wish the best for everyone always who's going through a bad time right now. But, um, my point is more just like I, because I've heard in some cases that, you know, you know, hackers get more clever and, and prying more into people's homes and just stealing information. Yeah. So that's what I worry about. Well, there's, there was a dramatic hack either yesterday or today, right, um, of a bunch of Twitter handles from prominent Elon Musk and a bunch of politicians who got hacked on Twitter. So they, 
um, they certainly are getting more aggressive um, and you, there's, there's no such thing as a fully secure technical system. Uh, I don't know if there ever has been. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess we just got to be up to date with the right protections as well going forward, you know. Um, Phil, what technological tool or advancement do you see coming down the pike that will really be a huge uh, player in, in our use of it if we utilize it properly uh, as humans in the next few years or next decade? So I, I take that as an invitation to uh, talk a little bit of science fiction, right? This is, this is a long time away, I think, or it's hard to know how far in the future it is, but I think the, one of the next big innovations that I'm excited about are the prospects of having not just AI, so advanced machine learning that does sophisticated things with large amounts of data, but having AI that works for us individually. So most of the stories about AI and how AI is going to transform, transform society are about what government can do with AI or what, what a big firm can do with AI to, to try to improve public life. There's going to come a point at which AIs um, start to work for us, express our values, protect us from spam, help us pay our bills, help us pay our taxes on time, uh, you know, get rid of some of the mundane stuff in life. Um, and that's, that's the thing I'm looking forward to, uh, having an AI that'll be individuated enough to, to work for us on our own personal agenda, express our values. Yeah, that's great. And and I think that's really important what we're saying because if we really do utilize it well and free up, let's say, certain time and other aspects of our life, we can really just, I don't know, I, I can just imagine like the, the certain uh, comforts and let's say advantages we can have just to augment our human experience, you know, it could be really, really incredible, you know, but it has to be done. In, a, in the right way and ethical way and things like that, obviously. Um, my final question, Phil, is this. Phil, just to conclude our conversation and thank you again so much for your time um, and being on this episode of Spearlift, what would be your advice for, uh, you know, just a kind of positive notion for people in the way that they engage with technology? How can it, how can it be a catalyst for something positive for us going forward? from now on, How, what would be your advice to spearlifters regarding that? I think, I think the way to make technology a positive force um, for good is to be active in using it. Um, and by that I mean, uh, if you're using social media, um, check it once a month to remove trolls, the people you don't actually know. Um, don't forward stuff that you haven't actually read yourself. Because if you forward stuff that's sensational or conspiratorial or extremist, you could hurt somebody in your network and you're, you're passing, you could pass misinformation. So actively read stuff before you, before you like it or favorite it or pass it along. Um, actually get to understand what the devices are doing when they track your movement uh, around the city and who's, who's, who's using that data for what ends. And it can be, it can be sort of worrying, anxiety-inducing to trace all this down. But there are some basic things that you can do to uh, maintain your your informational hygiene, right? Sometimes we speak of mental hygiene or physical hygiene, but but you can do some things to maintain the 
the hygiene in your, your media hygiene. And so I'd say be an active technology users and do a few things to protect your privacy. Um, make sure that the information about you out, uh, online is, is what you need to get the services you want, but not too much more. Right? Excellent. Yeah, I think just having balance is the key and, and where we put our attention, right? Because sometimes we're just, you know, overloaded, feel like, a ton, 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 I can't say the word probably. We, we feel like robotic in a way, you know, like yep. uh, just with the use of these things and we kind of go on autopilot, you know. Autopilot, yeah, and I think that's the other side of it. It's very easy to get, um, you know, addicted is not the right word, but immersed, fully right. immersed. And especially in this time of lockdown and COVID, I would say um, don't read COVID news every day, right? Maybe read it. Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday to check the trends, um, but but don't follow politicians for health news. Um, check to see what the you know the doctors are saying and the national health, public health agencies are saying, because in a lot of countries there's there's a real divergence between what political leadership wants and what, what the health professional. I think um, rather than checking what politicians think for the health advice um, it's better to i actually think we should trust ourselves in um, political scandal and sensational extremist stuff um, real while, um, but uh, don't get caught up don't get too caught up in it yeah that's good advice yeah it, because we know i think if people have been following it at least enough right now they know that this is a problem and the way it transmits and the way it stays in the environment and you know that it's not going to be over tomorrow so we don't have to literally look every day as you said we just have to once in a while and see where the trends are and see what's really going on and and have our you know ear to the ground that way ear to the ground. Yep. and uh you know be on the same page with our employers you know and just mm -hmm. see you know how things are going on that and with work so again thank you so much phil and where can spear lifters know more about you and find more information about you well uh, i have a book that just came out um it's called lie machines it used to be called the original title was truth machines it was going to be about how social media algorithms uh, can help provide truths um, i got sort of derailed with all the evidence it's about how politicians manipulate public opinion but there are some ideas in the back of the book for how to fix the situation um, the book is called lie machines it's available from yale university press and actually i can offer a discount code for listeners uh, for 30 percent off if you use the code y l i e s when you buy the book from the publisher site you get 30 percent off if you're still interested in this this kind of stuff yeah, absolutely. And we'll include all of your information, Phil, in the video description below. And Spirit Lifters, make sure to please check out uh, Phil's book and use the discount code uh, that he mentioned. And we'll make sure to include it as well um, in the description and in the pinned comments. So thank you so much again, Phil. This has been a pleasure speaking with you. And we'll see you in the next episode, Spirit Lifters. Have a great day.